Welcome to this special bonus episode of the SMY Podcast. There's been some remarkably fast movement on the school funding front at the state level. Action that we didn't expect to happen uh, until July or later. And the news for South Milwaukee and many other financially strapped districts is not good. This year, parents, teachers, and school leaders joined together with our Speak Up for Public Schools movement to celebrate our schools and advocate for better funding by sending hundreds of letters to state leaders expressing our support for public education. That all happened while the South Milwaukee School Board worked to close a significant budget gap between our expenses and our expected revenue. Those conversations were painful. They involved real tears and an analogy to being forced to drink poison by the state. It also came with a sense of consternation because none of it is necessary given the state's projected $7 billion budget surplus. While it was always a long shot to sway legislators to district requests, the deal reached recently between the legislature and the governor, a former educator himself, came as a shock for a lot of reasons. Today, we'll unpack the implications of that deal for South Milwaukee's finances in the new school year and beyond from Business Services Director Dan Arnold. We'll explore what effects uh, it'll have on our students next year with Krzysztof Gajewski, Director of Curriculum and Instruction. We'll ask outgoing Interim Superintendent Jim Shaw his view about school funding over the decades, as he's had 50 years of experience in our school. Here's Dan Arnold. Dan Arnold, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me, Dan. Um, so I, at the top, I kind of explained um, some of the information, but but last uh, in the spring, the school board and the administration worked together on a budget um, deficit mitigation plan. Can you tell me what that was and what what were the results of it? Yeah, so the the board was looking at a potential one point six million dollar deficit next year for the twenty three twenty four school year. So we went through a several week long process of trying to look at different ways to mitigate that that deficit. So ultimately, we decided on a plan which uh, looked to reduce about two hundred and fifty thousand dollars worth of of I guess not reductions, but we're taking staff and putting them two grants. So that's two hundred and fifty thousand dollars of of grant material that we do not have access to because we're supporting staff this year. Um, then we had about $300,000 worth of department cuts. Um, so that's curriculum, that's non-staff related expenses that are used to support our teachers that we will not have next year. And then there was about $400,000 of, actually I'm sorry, $300,000 worth of, of non-teaching staff related reduction. So those are paraprofessionals, custodians, et cetera. And we also had three positions at the high school, three teaching positions at the high school, which um, those were retirees that we will not fill, positions we will not fill next year. Mm-hmm. So all told, uh, we we were able to reduce that $1.6 million deficit to a, to about a $500,000 deficit. And um, there were some other moving pieces within that, but that's that's the broad strokes of the plan. So we got it from 1.6 to 500. And the question was, well, what would happen next? Um, will the state biennium budget be enough to supplement that difference? Um, would it be worse? Um, and now we kind of have some of the answers to those questions. And if, if um, so you had predicted uh, in that plan that the state was going to give about $200 per student in the revenue increase, um, if that had been the case, what would the um, what would it have 
what yeah. would we have done? How would we have made up that five hundred thousand? So if we if we were having a two hundred thousand dollar sorry if we were having a two hundred dollar per pupil adjustment in the revenue limit, um, then we would be facing a five hundred thousand dollar deficit in the twenty three twenty four school year. So we would simply absorb that cost. So for twenty three twenty four, our revenue would be less than our expenditures. That five hundred thousand dollars would come out of fund balance at the end of the day. That's um, cash reserves that we have for for situations such as this, but mainly to get us through the fiscal year, since our money doesn't come in all. Yeah, evenly. it gives you liquidity. Is the phrase right? It lets you. Yeah. Let's let's just stay yeah. afloat. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's so, the space between paychecks. Exactly. So we, we can rely on that that reserve, those reserves specifically our investment income and such to to get us through one year. Um, and then with our initial projections, we were looking at about a two million dollar deficit in twenty four twenty five. Mm-hmm. Reasons for that being um, specifically our ESSER funds are running out at the end of 2324. Right. And that was money specifically allocated for pandemic expenses that that we knew would be going away eventually. Correct. And the the main thing to note is the the state um, promised that that at the end of the current biennium that we're in, so the one that we're going to start with the 2324 school year, that um, the state would step in and supplement that difference. Um, the last two years, we did not receive any adjustment to the revenue limit, specifically because of those ESSER funds. Now, there's a, we've talked a lot yeah. about that yeah, in the past podcast. Uh, but essentially, when push comes to shove, um, the thought process was receive more at the in the next biennium when those funds go away. Um, and so we were looking at a $2 million deficit in 24-25, and the hope was that the state would provide enough of a revenue limit increase or special ed reimbursement that we could supplement that difference. Okay. And so um, this week, uh, not this, well, depending when you're listening to it, recently the governor uh, and the legislature took education funding out of the biennium and discussed it separately with some other um, some other topics that matter across the state. And we got an answer to what our funding was going to be earlier than we expected. Um, what, what did we learn this week? Yeah. So I, I think everybody probably would have seen this in the headlines or in the news in some capacity, but the, the deal is being touted as a billion dollar investment to public schools. And when we're talking about South Milwaukee, um, it quickly becomes evident that that $1 billion narrative just simply doesn't have the same impact, if you will. It, it doesn't it doesn't reflect out as much as one would think if just reading that headline. When it comes to South Milwaukee specifically, um, there's a couple lines within that that deal that that apply to us, and some that don't. And the biggest one that doesn't is the one uh, the eleven thousand dollar revenue limit ceiling increase that does not apply to us whatsoever. So we do not see any increase uh, as a result of that low revenue limit ceiling. Now other districts may see a $1,000 per pupil bump as a result of that increase alone. We don't receive anything as a result of that. Um, what we do receive is though the biennium agreement is to receive a $300, $325 increase to the revenue limit in the 23-24 school year and in the 24-25 school year. And then as well, a 3.3% increase to special ed reimbursement in the next year. And then that 3.3% increase would carry over as well, but not compound on top of that. But we would get that increase as well sure. for the so, 24-25 school year. So we anticipated $200 per pupil and a 
Did you anticipate anything for no, special ed? And no, no special ed increase okay. at all. And so what what we've seen in the the deal signed into law is three twenty five increase and a three percent special ed increase. Correct, three point three percent. But yes, so that so it is higher than anticipated. Um, but if you recall, we were mentioning a two million dollar deficit in twenty four twenty five. Unfortunately, that that increase does not supplement does not mitigate completely that that deficit that we're going to see so we we started the whole process with that with that those assumptions um and we were we were thinking that we would end 24 sorry to end 23 24 with a five hundred thousand dollar deficit and a two million dollar deficit in 24 25 with this biennium we're looking at more like a $200,000 deficit in 23-24 and a $1.3 million deficit in 24-25 when those ESSER funds go away. Sure. Um, and then, um, so that's, um, so that means we're spending out of that fund balance less than we anticipated, but um, so just, we're sinking slower, it sounds like, when it comes to our revenues. That, that is one way to look at it for sure. So we it, it, it does not solve the problem. Um, it just becomes how do we mitigate less of a problem? Mm-hmm. Um, and then so let's talk about budgeting then. So so now you have numbers to work on and the the, the board will go through the, the steps it needs to, to 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 confirm that budget. But what is it for 24, 25 for the next school year? That conversation is starting now. Uh, and and what can we expect? What can we look for? Yeah. So I, I think in general, um, for anyone who would have listened to last night's board meeting, um, the, in general, there's there's a, a, a feeling of, of um, disappointment with this biennium. Um, like we discussed, the state legitimately has the tools at its disposal to solve this issue in its entirety. Um, and this discussion is, is ongoing. Um, so we're continuing to have discussions of how do we mitigate this, this potential deficit but now where the variables are set, right? So the the long story short is there's there's really three options. And option one is you deficit spend. Mm-hmm. And so you started by saying that we had $9 million in fund balance. Some of that's going away. And you said we have we anticipate have a $1.6 million deficit we, for the next 1. budget. 1.3 for the next year. For 24-25. Right. Yeah. That $9 million looks like less now than... And I will say, so we had nine million in fund balance at the end of June of twenty two of 20, 2022. Um, the way school finance works, you really report your fund balance to the state and and at the end of June. I can guarantee you that the the fund balance at the end of June of twenty three, where when we're currently talking right now, will be less than that because we're running a deficit already in twenty two twenty three. Got it. So all it's to say is that 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 first option of deficit spending um, can't go to that well. No. No, you really can't. It's it is a short term solution. It's one thing to deficit spend to the tune of a couple hundred thousand dollars when you have a couple million in fund balance. It's another thing to deficit spend a million plus several times. So we we this this is a problem that with our declining enrollments, we we have to face head on. Um, so we're, we're essentially using that strategy for twenty three twenty four. We're saying. Yeah, we're saying we're going to deficit spend for this year, dip into fund balance, and 
try to figure out what we can do next. For 24-25 is when the, the, the real decisions need to be made as to what are our long-term solutions here. Now, um, option two. Option two is reduce. Um, reduce primarily staffing is, is probably the main thing that we'd be looking at at this point because we just looked at all sorts of ways to mitigate non or to reduce non-staffing positions and and that's really tough because when when over two-thirds of our expenses are staffing, we are a service industry, we provide education to students. When we talk about um, those kind of reductions, it almost certainly has a reduction to the quality of instruction that our students receive. And that's why we're here is to is to provide an education to our kids. And when we can't do that, it's it's really pain painful. So that would be option two is, is make reductions. So you could see some combination of option one and two already at play uh, with how we got into 2324. Um, the third option would be going to referendum and going to the community and asking for additional dollars to supplement that difference. Sure. Yeah. And that phrase, um, it's a, it's a, if you haven't been here and you haven't experienced the ones in the past, it's a vote by the public to make up the difference in our budget or for a certain amount. Yeah. Yeah. So if you just expand on that a bit, if you, if you recall from our last discussion, we used the analogy of, of um, $10 essentially uh, to, to explain the revenue limit. The revenue limit is the key factor in all things school finance. Um, the state says you can only get $10 that the state might say, we'll give you three and you have to get seven from your population. In South Milwaukee's instance, it's more the opposite. It's more the state says, we'll give you seven. You have to get three from your, from your, from, from your taxpayers. So if, uh, if you want to get more than the $10, you have to vote on that right to get more than $10. So in this situation, um, we're saying the $10 that we receive, the revenue limit that we have will result in a deficit for the couple of years to come here. So if we want to receive more than that limit, um, it has to be approved by the taxpayers of South Milwaukee. So referendums, uh, I know are not uh, a quick decision that a board might make. Um, maybe speak a little bit to the gravity of, of doing a referendum. I think anybody who has a mortgage and has paid a tax bill knows the the brevity of asking for that. Um, taxes have gone up recently, and I will say it's from my perspective, it's very frustrating because here we are in South Milwaukee. We paid off our high school. If you look at the levy, the amount of money the district received in the twenty two three school year as compared to the previous year, we received less money from the levy in the 22-23 the school year. Nonetheless, because property values have gone up, a lot of people in South Milwaukee actually saw a raise, an increase in their, in their property taxes. So this is a time of inflation. Everyone is experiencing a cost increasing, schools included. And to, to ask the, the people of South Milwaukee to, to increase our revenue when the state could have just as easily done that is, like you said, something that the board will not take lightly. And it's a very difficult decision to make. Um, so this is a conversation we're going to continue to have. We're going to continue to weigh those three options we discussed. Um, and we really 
we really won't go to referendum unless it's something that the board decides we really have to do. And this is this is a tough decision that must be made. Um, but we'll, we'll see in the upcoming weeks and months where that lies. Awesome. Well, Dan, thanks. Um, you know, our last conversation is our most listened to podcast ever, which is uh, blows me away because it's it's such a heavy topic. Um, but I think you articulate it really clearly. Um, so thank you for being here. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. Um, Christy Gajewski, thank you for being here. Absolutely. Thank you. So um, we just heard from Dan Arnold what um, what this deal that um, the governor and the legislature have come to agreement on uh, is going to mean financially for our budget. But I'm wondering if you could tell me what programmatically we had to give up um, uh, to even just get to our deficit spending budget. And then maybe we'll talk a little bit about what going forward, now that we know what our funding levels are going to look like, it's going to mean for our students. Sure. Um, so what we had to give up, um, I had to cut about 10% of my operating budget um, in order to get to the minimal level of deficit spending that we had. Um, it also meant that I had to cut a member of my team from an instructional coach, um, which was is a teacher leader who supports educators and students in the classrooms. So this um, biennium has meant that um, I've had to cut back on certain things um, and I've had to stretch out certain things with trying to keep a priority on what's best for kids and an eye on things that are working in the district. Um, for example, we've been spending a lot of time on our early literacy practices, and we've I've been able to provide professional learning support to a lot of our educators. I've been able to spend a lot of time with our instructional coaches on really drilling down on, on what does the science of reading mean so that we can ensure that our teachers understand what that means um, and implement resources that support though that research. Um, and so over the past couple of years with leveraging federal grants and things like that, we've been able to get quite a bit done. However, this biennium has made it more challenging to continue to lift up that work um, and um, scale it up. So now the scale up is going to be much slower um, because we've lost a, an instructional coach. Um, we've managed to provide support in all of the buildings for teachers, but it is going to be a, more limited. Um, we've managed to be able to leverage some of our um, federal grants to buy resources. However, one of the things that in addition to state budgets being a challenge federal dollars um have been have been um cut back as well so we receive um several uh federal grants title one title two title three and title four title two is specifically for teacher and administrator and staff professional learning our budget for that federal grant has been cut proposed to be cut by um one third for next year so on top of the challenges that we're facing in the, with our general budget and our general aid, we're also now looking at a cut, a significant cut to teacher professional learning. So the approach that we've taken in the school district is to really leverage the professionals that we have in the school district to reformat our curriculum and instruction and make sure that we're aligning to science and research. Um, and we've done that without a ton of support from outside consultants. We may bring in a couple other districts um, have leveraged consultants and spend a, a lot of money on consultants to help them do that work where we've tried to create a model where we're leveraging our teacher leaders to do that. And 
this is going to cut that back a lot. Um, not that we're not going to be able to do it. It's just going to probably take us longer. Um, and we will have to be really strategic in our approach and what resources we provide and what professional learning we actually can sustain and continue. Sure. So um, some examples, I think um, I associate you specifically with this idea of professional learning communities where teams of teachers look at the students that they all teach together and identify what the needs are of the students that necessarily uh, that, that they see and share with each other best practices for those those students. But they're in a large part led by some of those teacher leaders, yes. uh, one of which you have one fewer of. Yes. And that was at the elementary level. Yes. Right. Um, and. Yeah, it's going to mean that I can I can't put as many teachers through some of that online professional learning that I've been able to do in the past. Um, it will mean that we have to leverage some of the people that have already gone through that training and get creative in ways that we can support um, teachers in an ongoing way. It's just it's going to mean it's going to take a little bit longer and it's just going to mean that I can't put as many people through certain things. Um, and that's kind of frustrating on my end because we're we've gotten some preliminary data back. We can't really talk about what those achievements look like just yet because the data is embargoed. Um, but we're starting to see, efforts pay off. And I think if you tuned into any of the school board meetings um, where schools were talking about their data and the improvements and the growth that they've seen in students, we're starting to see that trickle over into our forward exams um, on a preliminary basis in most of our schools. And so when you see that kind of success happening and you know the methods are working, you want to ramp that up and scale it up faster. And teachers want to learn more. Um, and I really, 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 really hate saying no. Um. I know that um, that the administration and school board have tried to mitigate any impact to the classroom yes. and to the teachers. Will um, will we notice anything next year? I don't think I don't think we'll notice much next year. Um, this next school year, 23, 24, I don't think we'll meet. We've been able to manage to figure out ways to keep most things intact. So on the surface level, you won't see. Um, much change. And I think we'll still be able to get the growth that we expect and some of the things to change. It's the following year that's the most concerning um, when there may be a larger deficit that we're faced and that may mean cutting back even more and it will have more of an impact directly to the classroom, I think. Well, Christy, thank you so much for your insights into this. Um, next, we're going to hear from Dr. Shaw, our superintendent, about how he sees this affecting the entire state. Thank you. You're welcome. Dr. Shaw, thank you for being on the podcast. Um, thanks for being here. You're welcome. Nice to be here. Um, so you have been in public education for 50 years. What are your impressions of this budget? What's it mean for South Milwaukee and what's it mean for the state of Wisconsin? Well, I, I've been in and out of public education. I, I have retired several times and come back. Um, and coming back this time was um, a, a difficult experience for me because um, coming back to a time when our kids' needs have never been greater, I think kids, families, all of us are experiencing some trauma, some residual effects of the, of the pandemic. I just saw in the paper this morning that our math scores nationwide are the lowest they've been 
in memory in 13 years. Um, that's just evidence of the increased needs of our children. So the first thing I need to talk about is the fact that our kids need more after the pandemic and its impact. Um, and at that same time that the kids' needs are greater, the budget is inadequate. And I was hoping that because we had a $7 million surplus, that this was the time that the legislature and the governor would recognize the needs of the kids and try to respond to those needs. The other um, major difference between I was I was an interim superintendent two years ago, three years ago, um, is the continuing financial crisis that, and I, I think it's not an exaggeration to say crisis. Um, I was superintendent in, in 2011 when we had a, a statewide financial crisis, an economic crisis, a real crisis that impacted every home, every school, every business. And at that time, uh, schools, funding for schools was drastically decreased. Um, that has never changed. We, we've been living with an inflationary freeze or a revenue freeze for 14 years. Mm. So I can understand where schools, like everyone else, has to take a hit in an economic crisis. But we got a $7 billion increase, I mean, a surplus, and our kids are hurting. And we have an inflationary freeze. We are 14 years behind um, inflationary spending in, in, in public schools. So that, um, I think, creates increased need for students and families and decreased funding is a crisis. I say the other thing, I, you know, I started in special education. It was my first uh, position in, in public schools. And um, at that time, the state mandated special education services because they didn't exist. So when they started them, they paid 60%. 60% of the cost of, uh, of special education 30 years ago, 40 years ago, I guess now. Um, and today, after they increased the reimbursement for special education from 31, they increased it all the way to 33%. And we're talking about our most vulnerable kids. We're talking about the kids who need the most help. And um, that means we need additional teachers to work with special education kids. We need some individualized work for our special needs kids. And um, that costs money. It's like two and a half times the cost of a, an average student. So we have a state mandate, a federal mandate as well to educate special education students, our most vulnerable kids, 
And we don't have the support we need from the state to provide those, those services. And there's nothing more public in public education than special education kids. I say that because public schools are supposed to exist for all the kids. No, you know, matter poverty, race, religion, need. or disability, need, yes. So that's a law. And I, I love the law that says, oh, yeah, okay, in public schools, you're going to educate all the children. And um, we want to do that. And we are doing it. But we're doing it on a shoestring. We're doing it with inadequate resources. And, uh, you know, our teachers' compensation has fallen off, um, not kept up with inflation as well. It strikes me, you said 14 years, and it just dawned on me that if if a, a senior who graduated this year started in um, K-4, that was the last time. That, that, that whole is correct. person's Gradu- whole graduating, education. Kids yeah. graduating from high school never saw an inflationary increase in education. Yeah. Think back to where your personal budget was 14 years ago. Yeah. Um, those new parents and yeah, have changed have in no 14 raise. years. Yeah, in 14 years. <laughs> yes, they That's have. remarkable. They have. But, you know, I, I, South Milwaukee is just a wonderful community, uh, especially in regards to public education. They have been so supportive um, of their children and, and the schools. We see, you know, even the buildings that, that we're in and – People stepping up, volunteering, major gifts to the school district. They're all out of their pockets. They're their personal donations mm-hmm. to support public education. Um, and that's what makes our schools successful, uh, the community support that, that we receive. They could be more successful if we had adequate state funding for public education. So I am deeply disappointed in the compromise budget. I don't know what the compromise, I think the compromise was us. I think the compromise was the governor and the legislature decided that they could sacrifice, they could give up adequate funding for special education and instead um, fund vouchers, fund shared revenue, um, fund higher ed. I mean, these, these are all important needs in, in the state. But of course, I'm biased. I've been in public education for 50 years. I think the most important part of the state budget is public education. Mm. Um, and I'm sure many, many people would disagree with that, but forgive me. After 50 years, you get a little, you get a little warped. You get a little focused on what you think is most important. And to me, public education is our future. Um, public education serves um, all the children of all the people. Um, if we want a successful state, we have to have a vibrant public education system. And we do. But it's in danger of, if we keep on with this inadequate funding, um, we're going to be in trouble, not only from an educational point of view, but from a competitive economic point of view as well. Education to me is an investment. It is not a cost. It is not a 
purely a cost. It's, it's viewed as, I think at the state level, as the most expensive item in the budget. I would like to view it as the most important item in the budget. And that's why it should get priority. And I, again, it is the most expensive. It does have priority, but it's not keeping up with inflation. Is our state funding, has the equity changed? Is is a, a student in South Milwaukee as valuable as a student elsewhere? Our funding system is broken. Um, I think at one time we had a model funding system that was based on equalized value. That was that meant that was an attempt to provide an adequate education, no matter where a child lived in the state. So they tried to do that through property tax. So if property value was higher in a district, it got that district got less state aid than a district with low property value per student. So that formula was around for years, and there were some problems with it. But for the most part, um, it did try to account to provide a, a roughly equal education um, across the state. And I think we've tried to tam- tamper with that funding formula, and uh, it is no longer equitable. So you have vast disparities. Um, now, even in this budget, this new budget proposal, it just makes them worse because it's easier for rich school districts with high property value, low property taxes to pass a referendum, to give additional money to their public schools. In a low property value, high property tax district, it's difficult for the local uh, property tax to support the public schools. You know, education in our state constitution is a state responsibility, not a, not a local uh, responsibility, a state responsibility. And then the state delegates responsibility, shares responsibility with the local community. They're supposed to be partners. Um, but it starts with the authority of the state. And I would say that's the primary responsibility. The state has a responsibility to assure equal educational opportunity across the state and equitable funding across the state. And that's not, that's not what's happening. Um, we have vast disparities, for, for example, in spending per pupil. I think close to $20,000 per pupil down to seven or $8,000 a, a, a pupil. And th- that right there is terrible inequity. And then you get to the idea, or the, again, I'll get back to child's needs. That's where this all should start. It should all be focused on what the kids need, what are the needs in the particular community. And we know that high poverty communities, high poverty kids, kids that don't have the educational experiences and the educational resources in their homes and community need more resources in the public schools in order to succeed. Um, and we are not, in our system of funding, we don't provide uh, more assistance to poor, poor kids. Um, we don't have a weighted system that, that would say, okay, if kids have more needs, 
they get more resources. Um, exact, I think we have kind of the opposite system where kids who do have a lot of resources tend to get more. So it's the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Um, even in our, in our neighborhood here in South Milwaukee, our, our good neighbor, the Oak Creek Franklin School District, um, is going to get approximately $1,000 per pupil more um, in state aid in this compromise budget than South Milwaukee. Um, now, I'm not saying South Milwaukee's poor or Oak Creek is rich. I'm just saying that why would we have a system that would give $1,000 more to our neighbor than than, than to us. Yeah, so the, a the, kid could be a block away yeah, from a yeah. Creek student. And yeah, the, the, the system to me needs to be adjusted, needs to be fixed. It has gone away from this idea of equal opportunity, equal education opportunities, no matter where you live in the state. And I'll tell you, every time we have to rely on referendums, local referendums to fund schools, that that disparity is going to get worse. The inequality is going to get worse because some school districts can pass referendums, others can't. Um, and we even have, I think, in this current state of affairs, if you if a referendum fails, um, they cannot get, they don't qualify for an increase in the in state aid due to the raising the revenue caps. Mm-hmm. So um, funding is a problem in our state. Uh, funding is, first of all, to me, um, inadequate because it is not kept up with inflation. It does not provide for special education kids. Um, and it is inequitable. It does not uh, provide more money f- uh, based on student need. And it does not provide more money based on on, on poverty. Um, so I would go so far as to say is that this current proposal, at least for South Milwaukee, is hurtful to us. It's not going to help meet the student needs. Um, And again, we're going to have to rely on the good people of South Milwaukee, the supportive community that they are, to help us meet the needs of of our children. Yeah, Dan and I went over the the tough decisions the board has next uh, in the three scenarios as to that next year, the the budget deficit and how they're going to close it. Um, you know, an important event's coming up here this summer, and um, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about it. Um, the Wisconsin Public Education Network's having their summit, summer summit here. Um, why is that important, and what, what can we learn there? Well, I, I said this... Um I've been in, doing in public education for many years, and I've been concerned about public schools since the funding freeze that the Act 10 occurred in, um, in 2011. And so I've been advocating for public schools since then. And I've been part of the Wisconsin Public Education Network uh, for, for many years. The Wisconsin Public Education Network, to me, is the strongest advocate for uh, public schools. It is uh, grassroots. It's um, not affiliated with any particular 
party, political party, so it's not it's nonpartisan. It's not controlled by, you know, I'm, I belong to superintendents associations. I have belonged to school boards association. This is not a professional association. This is this is parents, this is teachers, this is old retired administrators like myself who think public education is important and we try to advocate for it. They have an annual, their big event every year is the Summer Summit, the Wisconsin Public Education Network um, Summer Summit. And this is the ninth, the ninth summit. Um, last year I attended, it was in Eau Claire. This year, it's in South Milwaukee, and I'm I'm so pleased that it's in South Milwaukee, and and um, I'm going to be here, even though I'm going to be retiring again. I I want to come back for the Wisconsin Public Education Network Summer Summit. Who should go? Who should attend the? As the I said, summit? anyone who's an advocate for public education, parents it would be wonderful to see South Milwaukee. Parents um, attends any 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 citizen, any um, administrator or teacher, uh, and it's not just from South Milwaukee. Uh, this is a statewide summit. Like I said last year, it was held in Eau Claire, and people from around the state attend attend the um, the conference annually. We've been pleased that um, the state superintendent has attended the the summer summit. The governor has attended the um, summer summit, and we've had very good support from um, a number of associations as well. And businesses have stepped up and and um, donated support for us, uh, provided lunches, etc. Because I think again, in many communities, public schools are are the heart of the community. So um, anybody in the community is welcome to attend the summer summit. Okay. Well, I want to say thank you for being here on the podcast. Thank you for being our superintendent this school year. Um, I know I've grown as a person knowing you and working with you. We're going to miss you. Um, we're excited uh, uh, for our next phase uh, in our educational journey here, but you've been a big part of my time here. And I want to say thank you. Well, I, there's, I thank you for the kind words. It's uh, wonderful. As a teacher, when you hear that um, you had an impact on anyone, um, so I appreciate you saying that. And I'm just so excited about um, Superintendent Deidre Raymer. Um, you know, I used to teach uh, at the university, and uh, I taught people uh, how to become superintendents or what they would have to do to become superintendents. And... Uh, I can't teach Deidre anything. She's <laughs> she's prepared and she's ready. And um, I'm so happy that she's coming to South Milwaukee. Great. Well, thank you on behalf of everyone in South Milwaukee for your time here. And thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this special episode of the podcast. I hope it's helped explain some of the workings of our government at the school level and the state level. Separate from school funding, but also important to South Milwaukee, another issue listeners should be aware of is the lack of support in the biennium for the Office of School Safety. Attorney uh, General Josh Call visited South Milwaukee to bring attention to the program, which is run out of his office. The Office of School Safety is a resource South Milwaukee has relied on to establish our emergency response protocols for threats against our students. 
It also runs the Speak Up, Speak Out anonymous tip line where folks can alert authorities to a student who might be planning to hurt themselves or others. The OSS was started using federal grants, and those are running out and in danger of disappearing altogether. The biennium has some funding set aside for the program, but not enough to effectively keep it. It's important for us to tell our lawmakers what our priorities are. Visit the Support Public Education page on our website for contact information for our state leaders and to share your support or concern for their actions. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next season.